All right, so to start off, I wanted to ask a question. Um, how many of you are currently actively using cover crops on your farms? Okay, cool, good. I'm happy to, I'm happy to see that. Uh, hopefully by the time uh, this presentation is done, um, we'll all have learned something uh, new about cover cropping and its role in uh, rebuilding and restoring the soil. So cover crops are one of the easiest and primary uh, means of soil fertility uh, for farmers as well as nutrient management. So cover crops help to do a number of different things for our soil. They help to uh, prevent erosion, uh, they restore uh, nutrients uh, back to the soil, and they keep living roots in the soil before, during, and after our cash crops. Uh, cash crops would be uh, anything that you're planting uh, for a crop to take to market or for home use. So I want you to think of the soil like your bank account. If all you ever do with your bank account is pull money out, what's going to happen? You're going to go broke sooner or later. Uh, the same thing is true uh, with the soil. All soils come with a certain amount of nutrients already there. Sometimes it's a greater amount, sometimes it's a lesser amount, depending on where you are in the country and what has happened to that soil uh, before you got to it and started using it. So uh, with every crop that you plant and you harvest, you're removing nutrients. So unlike the bank, I can't just go to my soil and drop $100 on it and I've replenished the nutrients. Uh, I have to do some other things to it. So one of the methods of returning nutrients to the soil is cover cropping. Now it is true that you can uh, apply synthetic fertilizers to your fields uh, to help uh, deal with some fertility loss. Uh, the problem with that is that any synthetic fertilizers that you're adding to your fields, all they're doing is feeding the plants themselves. They are doing nothing to help out the biological life in the soil. And the way that we want to deal with our soils and our crops is we want to make sure that we feed the soil first, the soil will take care of feeding our crops, and then our crops will take care of feeding us. So if you remember nothing else uh, from uh, today's presentation, uh, I want you to remember that to have an effective cover crop stand, you really need two types of cover crops. You need a legume and you need some type of grass. And this will take care of the majority of your nutrient needs. And yes, you can get more, much more complicated uh, in your cover crop blends, but this is a, a good place to start off with. So for starters, I'm going to talk briefly about the soil and then we're going to dive in to uh, cover cropping and their role with the soil. So as we all are all probably aware, soil has three main components. It has a physical component, it has a biological component, and it has a physical uh, component to it. So the biological component, uh, I would say, is probably one of the primary uh, areas of the soil that we should be focusing on. Um, but it is, uh, I would say, equally important to focus also on the chemical and the physical sides of the soil. So obviously uh, there are many of us here that are gathering from all over uh, the country and so we all have uh, different soil types. Uh, some of us have loamy, more loamy soils, some of us have more clay soils, uh, some of us have sand or silt uh, soils. And each one of these soils has to be treated just a little bit differently. Uh, it's not a uh, one-stop shop solution. Uh, it's all based on the type of soil is going to dictate how much, uh, how many nutrients it'll be able to hold 
and use, and we'll be going into that a little bit later on in the presentation. So soil is made up of 30% air, 30% water, 45% minerals, and 5% organic matter. Now I want you to keep those definitions, if you want to call it that, uh, in mind as we go throughout the presentation um, because it, cover crops play a crucial role in making sure that the appropriate amount of air, water, and minerals get into our soil and then are distributed uh, back to our plants. Now the NRCS has uh, listed uh, four principles for soil health. Now the NRCS is a branch of the United States Department of Agriculture and the four principles are uh, starting off with the first one would be disturbance. We don't want to disturb our soils. We want to keep them um, as intact and left alone as possible. So basically if you are going to plant your cover crop uh, instead of plowing it, disking it, or tilling it, a better means of incorporating your cover crop seed into the ground uh, would be either to do a no-till drill or to broadcast the cover crop on top of the ground, um, preferably on top of a residue from either a former uh, cover crop stand that was covering your fields or uh, the dead residue of a previous cash crop. The second principle of soil health is cover. We want to make sure that the soil is covered. Uh, it's not enough to just leave it alone and not disturb it via tillage, um, but we want to make sure that it's covered with either dead residues, cover crops, uh, cash crops. Uh, and there's a number of different reasons why you want to have your soil covered. Um, but some of the, or one of the reasons at least that I'm going to mention today is that if we have the soil covered, it will to a certain degree help to keep the soil cooler or warmer depending on the time of year. So if it's July uh, and you're out there and if it's 95, 80 degrees outside, I'm from the south so we get those types of temperatures plus humidity uh, during the summertime, uh, it's fairly hot outside uh, for us as humans uh, and it's especially hot uh, for the soil and the soil biology. If you're out there in December, January, or February and it's 30 some degrees outside, it's cold for us, it's also cold for the soil and the soil biology. So having some type of cover, whether it's a living cover of a cover crop or a cash crop or just having the residues or a mat of the cover crop laid down on top of your soils, it'll help uh, keep the soil biology uh, just a little bit happier. Uh, principle number three would be keeping living roots in the soil for as long as possible. Now the living roots, let me rephrase that, the roots of uh, crops are taking in the photosynthesis that uh, the leaves of the plants are getting from the, from the sun and they're taking that and they're sending it down into their roots and they are exuding uh, the changed nutrients uh, for the soil uh, biological system to therefore eat and then render those nutrients in a form that our cover crops or our cash crops will then be able to take up and use. And principle number four is having biodiversity uh, out on our fields. Uh, now if we're a vegetable farmer it's pretty easy to have biodiversity uh, covering our fields. Uh, we can have maybe potatoes in one section of the field, corn, um, asparagus, you name it. All these different types of crops growing in one field and so we have diversity of crops. 
Well, we want to make sure that we have uh, some type of diversity with the cover crops that are growing. So two to three species is a good starting place, a good blend to have out on your fields. And depending on your operation, uh, you may also be able to incorporate livestock uh, into your fields that are cover cropped. Now livestock uh, integration to cover crops, this would be for a very short period of time. It's not like this is another pasture for you to turn the livestock into for the rest of the winter. Uh, the livestock do a couple of different things uh, for the soil and the cover crop. Uh, one, they eat some of the cover crop. Obviously they are dropping their urine, their manure on the field, which is great because it's feeding the biological life of the soil. Uh, and as your livestock are walking or running across your field, they are trampling in small pieces of the cover crop directly into the soil. And that is helping the uh, soil organisms get uh, some of this cover crop food even faster uh, than having to wait for it to come through the roots. All right, so why should we use cover crops? Well, there's a number of different reasons. Uh, if we use cover crops, um, we can cut our fertilizer costs, whether that is synthetic fertilizers um, or uh, compost or manures or whatever we would uh, normally be applying to our field, we can sort of reduce those costs uh, over time. Uh, they will definitely reduce the need for herbicides uh, if we put down the cover crops uh, to act as a weed barrier. They will improve the yields of future crops over time, and I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. They will prevent erosion because the ground, the soil is covered, uh, and when it rains uh, hard and heavy, or if there's a, a strong wind like what we're having today, uh, the soil is not exposed to being either blown away by the wind or uh, washed away by the rain. And they also help to conserve soil moisture uh, by c covering up the soil um, and not allowing it to evaporate uh, as would happen if the soil was bare. Now I mentioned uh, just a minute ago that they improve yields over time. Um, chances are if uh, your soils are slightly depleted and they're needing, they're needing help, chances are this happened over a, a period of time. It didn't happen because you did something wrong this last year, potentially. Uh, it took years to get to this point uh, of degradation in the soil, and it's going to take somewhere between two and a half to five years to be able to rebuild your soils with cover crops and see some long-term effects with the cover crops. However, you will see some immediate uh, benefits from using cover crops after the first year. All right, so cover crops are not a one-stop stop, not a one-stop shop for everything. So what you're going to want to do if you're thinking about putting cover crops uh, into your vegetable rotation or just using them on your farm, you'll want to do a couple of things first. Uh, do your research first. So clarify your primary needs. What are you wanting this cover crop to do? Uh, are you wanting it to uh, add organic matter, uh, provide nitrogen for a future crop, uh, improve your soil structure and porosity, uh, manage your nutrients? Uh, there's a number of different things that cover crops can help you do. So that is the first thing that you're going to want to do. The next thing is figure out when and where can you use cover crops. Now, if you're a vegetable farmer, uh, chances are there are multiple periods of time throughout uh, the growing season throughout the year that you can incorporate cover crops even if it's just for one to two months in between some of your cash crops. If you're a grain farmer, cover crops uh, can be used at the same time that you're growing the grains, same thing with the vegetables, or they can be planted um, 
immediately following uh, a grain harvest. Um, as soon as you've harvested the grains, you plant a cover crop so that way you keep uh, some sort of a living organism uh, on top of your soil and then penetrating down into the soil. And finally, you're going to want to test out a few options. Um, we can read all we want to. We can talk to other farmers and find out what their experiences are. But until we test out some options on our fields and on our land to see what works for us and what doesn't, um, we'll never know. So definitely start out small. Uh, if you're wanting to test out uh, different types of cover crops, don't put all 50 acres or 100 acres into uh, a couple different types of cover crops. Um, I would say that's one of the beauties of having our own farms is we're able to play around a little bit uh, and see what works for us and what doesn't work. All right, so cover crops, uh, they help to build the soil organic matter. The benefits of organic matter include uh, increased uh, or improved soil structure, the increased infiltration and water holding capacity. Uh, for those of you who are in Texas or maybe uh, other places where it's a little more arid, uh, you definitely want to do everything you can do to hold and maintain the water on your fields. You don't want it to infiltrate and then immediately just go down into the groundwater and disappear or just sit there and pond on top of your soils. You want the soils to be able to infiltrate the water and then hold it uh, for your future crops. And uh, organic, matter, organic matter also helps uh, with the increase of cation exchange capacity. That is the ability of the soil to act as a short-term nutrient storage um, bank for positively charged nutrients. Uh, and it also helps with the long-term storage of nutrients in your soil, the humus. Without organic matter, uh, you don't really have soil. It's basically just a bunch of weathered and ground up rocks uh, that are in your soil. So whatever type of cover crop that you plant, it is going to leave behind a different type of organic matter as it is decomposed. So your choice of cover crop will largely determine uh, the benefits that your soil will receive, whether it's uh, in a short period of time or a long period of time. And I'll be explaining more what I mean by that in just a few minutes. Now, cover crops, uh, I've got to remember to keep clicking this button. Uh, cover crops help to glue the soil together. So basically what I mean by that is you have uh, soil microorganisms that are digesting uh, different plant material, whether that's residues um, or different things that you've incorporated into the soil. And they produce compounds uh, in addition to the active and the stable compounds uh, for organic matter. Now, one of these groups, uh, kind of a byproduct of the group, is known as polysaccharides. Now, these are complex sugars which act as glues that hold uh, the small little, almost dust-sized particles of soils, to, soils together, and these are known as aggregates. A well-aggregated soil um, is one that's going to have good aeration, uh, and it's going to allow the good retention and infiltration of water. Now, those three things are very important because the biological life of soil is alive. Just like you and me, uh, it needs food, it needs air, uh, it needs water. And if your soils are, um, if they're compacted or they're platy, the amount of air and the amount of water that's going to get to those uh, soil organisms is just not going to be very much and you run the risk of losing uh, some of your uh, biological uh, livestock in the soil. Now, compaction uh, has been shown to decrease uh, the yields of certain types of vegetables, uh, or actually all types of vegetables, but certain ones, it can de decrease the yields by up to 
Uh, and I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want to see my yields cut by 50% simply because my soil is too compacted and the roots of my crops cannot uh, access the nutrients and get established like they should. So plant materials that are rich in succulents, succulent, uh, think of uh, like tillage radishes, for example, uh, they will be releasing nutrients that will be decomposing uh, at a fairly fast rate. Uh, and then they're, they're, they're done. They're incorporated into the soil. They're being used as food by the biological life. Uh, however, if you have plant materials that are woodier, they're more fibrous. Think of like your cereal grains uh, for this type of cover crop, like maybe uh, rye or wheat, barley, for example, or uh, clovers. Uh, they will be releasing nutrients at a much slower rate. Uh, and sometimes they may even tie up nutrients uh, temporarily. But these cover crops that are more fibrous and release nutrients more slowly, uh, they help with a more stable uh, organic matter uh, in the soil and they help with the creation of humus. They also help with uh, better soil physical conditioning and increased nutrient uh, holding capacity as well as a higher cation exchange capacity. And I'll be talking more about that later. Now, something to keep in mind here. We've been talking about soil organic matter and uh, different ways that we can build it up. Now, depending on how you do your tillage is going to have an impact on the buildup and the increase of soil organic matter. If you're doing a conventional tillage, uh, which is basically just going out there and tilling, um, let's say multiple times in a year to get rid of residues uh, to prepare your fields uh, for your next planting, that is going to have a detrimental effect on your soil organic matter. Now, I want you to think about soil organic matter. It's the food for the biological life. Now, if you have portions of crop residues, maybe they're six inches, maybe they're a foot long, and they're laying on top of your soil, you come along with your tiller and you till that up and you put it into your soil. Uh, the act of tillage has broken up uh, some of the uh, refuse, let's say, uh, that was sitting on top of your soil and it's made it easier for the soil organisms to consume it. So they're going to be able to eat it faster, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, because once they have eaten all the organic matter that's available, there's not really anything else for them to eat. So what are they going to do? They're going to turn around and they're going to start eating the glues that are holding your soil particles together, that are helping to provide the structure of the soil. Uh, and what happens if your soil doesn't have any structure? It's going to blow away. It's going to wash away much more easily because there's nothing to help hold it in place, um, especially if there's no uh, roots in the soil or, or coverage of the soil. So that's definitely one thing that you want to keep in mind. Now, uh, you can definitely use tillage uh, at certain points of time in your uh, in your farming lifespan, shall we say. Uh, tillage, as well as cover cropping and other uh, aspects of farming, they're all tools that we have at our disposal uh, to hopefully benefit our soils. Uh, but it's when we potentially overuse uh, some of these tools that that's when we can uh, start to run into problems. Uh, and that's one thing that we want to try to avoid, uh, if at all possible. Now, one thing I think I mentioned this a little earlier, uh, but most cover crops are cover crops that you can um, sow into your fields while your main crop is growing. So if you're tilling uh, as a means of preparing the soil for the next crop, 
to grow uh, that may not be necessary depending on your situation. All right, so cover crops, I'm going to talk a little bit more now about how they help to glue the soil together. So the soil microorganisms, they are digesting uh, the different plant material that is they are coming into contact with, and they are, nope, I tried to restart the same page of notes. All right, so uh, as the slide up on the screen shows, cover crops are able to perform uh, a number of different uh, actions for our soil. Now as you can tell from the slide up on the screen, uh, we've got a tillage radish uh, in the soil. Now this tillage radish is performing a number of different operations. It's helping to break up compaction. Uh, it is taking up nutrients that are in the uh, surrounding soil so they don't leach away. Uh, and it is also uh, in the beginning stages, I'm going to say, of providing uh, extra porosity to the soil. So if you move to the center of the uh, slide that's currently up, you'll notice that the tillage radish has died. It's reached the end of its lifespan, it has uh, decomposed, and it is releasing those nutrients uh, back into the upper layers of the soil. Now this is important because most of our cash crops do not have deep roots. Uh, they're going to be limited to the top layers of soil, and if our nutrients uh, decrease into the soil, into like the sublayer of the soil, then our crops are not going to be able to access those nutrients. Uh, so that's one important factor that uh, cover crops are able to perform. And as you can tell, the cash crop has now been planted, and those nutrients are readily available to it, not to mention that because we have all these holes, in this case with the tillage radish, the hole is going to be quite large, potentially, uh, at least at the, at the top level of the soil, uh, the soil is now able to have greater infiltration of water, air, and our cash crop is going to be able to send its roots down deeper into the soil uh, simply because the soil has been opened up and it has passageways that its roots can burrow deeper into the soil and thereby have a better uh, anchorage for its own, uh, its own roots. Now, uh, as we can tell with the slide, uh, the cover crop is holding uh, the nutrients in the soil. Now, this is important for another reason. There are uh, nutrients in the soil, especially nitrate, nitrogen in the form of nitrate, uh, that can be leached very quickly from the soil. Uh, if we have a heavy amount of rain and if there's no coverage to the soil or if there's just a lot of rain in the soil, nitrates are going to be on the move. Um, but one of the ways to prevent uh, nitrate or nutrient uh, loss uh, from our soil is to plant cover crops. The reason for this is... Uh, twofold. One, the cover crop is going to take up some of those nutrients for its own needs. It, it's growing, it's living, it needs its, its vitamins and minerals, shall we say. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the cover crop is going to be using some of the water that's in the soil. Now, it's not going to use it all up, uh, but it's going to use some of it up, and with that usage of water, there is a potential uh, that it will use up enough of it that uh, there won't be enough water left in the soil for uh, nutrient leaching. Now, one of the uh, best cover crops to use to prevent nutrient leaching uh, is cereal rye. If you plant it in the fall uh, with enough time to, for it to get established before winter hits, uh, it will grow throughout the winter, it'll provide coverage for your soil, and then uh, in the coming spring, it's really going to explode and grow. It's going to send its roots down really deep, and the amount of biomass that it's going to produce on the top level, level of the soil is going to be huge. Now, one thing that I will say as a word of warning, uh, if you're going to use rye, cereal rye, 
as a cover crop is if you've planted it in the fall and it grows in the spring, it has the potential to get up to at least six or seven feet. Now that can be problematic in terms of termination of this cover crop. So if you're going to plant rye, um, which I mean by all means definitely plant it if it uh, fits your fancy, uh, make sure that you terminate it when it's waist high. It's much more manageable at that point in its life than if you let it get above your head. Uh, and trust me, I have had it get above my head and it's a fun time to deal with. All right, so what to do if cover crops are tying up nutrients? Well, the first thing I would, I would ask if, if someone was to ask me that question is I would ask, how do you know that the cover crops are the ones that are tying up the nutrients? What is your baseline? And what I mean by that is have you done a soil test to see what, uh, if any nutrients are there present in the soil? Because the cover crop is going to need nutrients to grow as well. Uh, are there any physical, thereby visual signs that uh, your cash crop uh, is needing nutrients. So these are some of the things that you need to think about uh, as you're working through some of these uh, potential problems that may arise while you're using cover crops. So if you've already um, determined that there are nutrients uh, there in the soil, you've done your soil test and uh, you think that the cover crop may be tying up uh, the nutrients, one workaround that you can do is if you have terminated your cover crop, let's say maybe it's done as a green manure or uh, you've rolled, roller crimped it and it's just laying there on top of the soil, wait a few weeks before you plant your cash crop. Now this period of time that you're not doing anything with your soil is allowing the cover crop to be decomposed by the soil organisms uh, incorporated into the soil and thereby its nutrients are then being released uh, into the soil and then they will be available for your next cash crop. So giving it a few weeks uh, time period uh, to uh, break down can help alleviate uh, that potential problem. Now additionally, uh, if maybe you've already planted uh, your cash crop and you're noticing this uh, deficiency, you can add a supplemental form of fertilizer uh, in a liquid base uh, to the leaves. That's a foliar application. Uh, this way your plants will get the nutrients that they need uh, more quickly and it's, a, it's another workaround. We want our soils to look like cottage cheese uh, and using cover crops will help to do that. Uh, so basically the practice that we want to have happen uh, with our soils is we want the soil to be able to hold the nutrients and then have a continual release of those nutrients. So basically what you have is the soil organic matter is feeding the microbial life. The microbial life uh, in the soil is feeding our plants uh, and then the plants are feeding us. You're going to hear me repeating this phrase uh, multiple times today. What we want to be doing is adding biology to the soil. Uh, we want to make sure that we have living roots and that our soil is well aggregated so that our crops can access the nutrients between the mycorrhizal fungi and the other macroorganisms in the soil, they will help to break down the organic matter and make sure that the nutrients are available for the crops, again, over time. If you're a student of nature, you will, uh, by this point, probably have noticed that nature never hurries. It takes its time, it repairs itself, it rebuilds, it creates um, according to how it should be.
All right, so now we're going to be talking about uh, vegetable crops and incorporating uh, cover crops into our vegetable crop uh, rotations. So once again, if you're going to be doing this, you want to take a step back and do some research. You know, figure out what are your primary needs uh, that you're wanting to address by incorporating cover crops into your uh, vegetable rotations. And you can see a number of them listed up on the screen. Now, if you're wanting to do like a early summer crop, uh, consider an early maturing uh, cash crop that will allow for the timely planting of a cover crop. Uh, just like we want to make sure that we plant our cash crops on time so that they will be able to uh, grow and then produce food uh, when they're supposed to, the same thing is true for our cover crops. Even though we are not going to be harvesting the cover crops uh, for ourselves to gain any um, food from, they need to be able to be allowed to grow and be able to function properly so that way the soil gets the care that it needs. Uh, you definitely don't want your cover crop dying uh, because you planted it too late and winter came along and it got winter killed uh, before it could address uh, the, any nutrient needs in the soil. All right, so vegetable systems, as I mentioned earlier, have multiple windows uh, that you can include cover crops in. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've had uh, many times where I have planted a spring or maybe it's an overwintered fall crop of brassicas, and so they come out early in the summer, and I'm just not ready to use that portion of my field just yet. You know, I want to plant it uh, in maybe squash or okra or whatever the case may be. Uh, and so I just need a little bit of time until it's the appropriate time to plant that crop. Well, don't leave your field bare in that one section. Definitely keep it covered. Otherwise, you're going to have, excuse me, you're going to have weeds come up. And that just creates more work for all of us. And I don't know about you, but I don't like dealing with weeds if I can avoid it. So uh, including a cover crop that will grow and mature quickly and then can be terminated easily and incorporated back into the soil. Now, if we're talking about uh, a warm season, uh, which is probably when most of us are growing our, our cash crops or vegetable crops, uh, you can consider something like buckwheat or cowpeas or sorghum sudan grass. These three cover crops, uh, they grow quickly uh, and they furnish a number of different benefits to the soil. Uh, just beware that sorghum sudan grass can grow uh, tall as well. I would consider it to be the summer variation of um, of uh, rye, uh, so you'll definitely want to terminate it uh, sooner rather than later. Now, the one thing I do want to mention, or emphasize, I should say, is if you are going to be planting a cover crop, I should say interseeding a cover crop uh, with your cash crop, uh, you'll want to make sure that it's a cover crop that can sustain a lot of traffic. If you're growing tomatoes, or maybe it's uh, peppers or eggplant or something along those lines, uh, you don't want to trample your cover crop to death. You want to make sure it can sustain uh, some heavier foot traffic uh, for multiple pickings uh, over the season until that crop is done. And then once that crop is done, you can uh, terminate it, and then you will still have a cover crop in place. Uh, that way you don't have to wait and have your soil bare and exposed for a number of days or weeks until your next cover crop is able to become established and cover your soil. Now, if you're going to be planting... Uh, cover crops in the fall so that they will overwinter, uh, you will want to be uh, planting them depending on where you are in the country. If you're further north, you're going to want to put them in uh, more towards the end of July. And then as we come further south across the continental U.S. Uh, into August and September. 
Personally, uh, I have planted cover crops as late as the end of October and borderline into Thanksgiving uh, week, uh, simply because sometimes in the south we get a lot of rain and I'm not able to get out into my fields and uh, spread or drill a cover crop. Now your cover crops, at least in the south, I'm from Tennessee, uh, they will grow uh, if you plant them that late into the winter. Uh, just expect that their growth is going to be greatly slowed. So you're going to see a lot more of your field um, as a bare field uh, or with just a residue cover from your previous cash crop until your cover crop is able to get established and then begin covering your field. So just something to keep in mind there. All right, so I'm going to quickly go over these next uh, several slides. Uh, one thing I should have mentioned at the beginning is that uh, if you accessed the AdAgra uh, website, uh, in the handout section, I do have a couple of handouts. The handouts will cover most of what is uh, up here on the screen. So just something uh, to keep in mind. So I'm going to be covering uh, a number of different uh, cover crops that can be used in the uh, spring, the summer, and then over winter uh, for fall and winter. So the first one that I'm listing here is uh, buckwheat. Uh, the next one would be sorghum sudan grass. These are two uh, cover crops that are relatively inexpensive. Uh, they're fast growing. Um, and in terms of the sorghum sudan grass, you have high, high biomass uh, production, which uh, can be used as a forage. Uh, hairy vetch, um, I listed it here in the spring summer section because if you are for further north, uh, you can use hairy vetch uh, throughout the summer uh, and it won't, it won't have adverse effects because of the heat. Now both of them on this slide here, the hairy vetch and the bursine clover, uh, they are a nitrogen producer and you can see uh, the yields of nitrogen, they will uh, return to your soil uh, because of their use. Uh, the hairy vetch is a good soil builder. Uh, with the bursine clover, it is frost susceptible, so you're going to want to make sure that you plant it early enough in the season uh, so that way it'll be able to do its job and the winter won't uh, have any adverse effects to it. All right, moving on into fall winter covers, uh, oats and cereal rye. So I've already talked a little bit about cereal rye. Uh, oats and cereal rye are a fairly cheap cover crop. Uh, the one thing I will say about oats is it does winter kill. Uh, that means as soon as uh, you have a good heavy frost, the oats are done. Uh, growing. They will still be there obviously as a uh, residue and a cover on top of your field. So you're going to want to make sure that you plant, uh, you plant your oats early enough for them to grow and be able to do their job uh, with the soil. Again, timing is everything, almost everything, uh, when dealing with, with our farms. All right, tillage radishes. Uh, these are one of my favorites to grow. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, they attract earthworms uh, into my fields, and that's, that's one type of soil biological life that I definitely want to see more of. Uh, in my opinion, you can't have too many earthworms uh, in any of your fields. Uh, they bring an immense, uh, immense amount of um, benefit uh, to your fields and thereby your crops. Now, the other thing that I really like about tillage radishes is the Rad, the tillage radish has an ability to get very large and act as a nutrient storage tank for nutrients in your soil, especially nitrogen. So if you plant Austrian winter peas and tillage radishes together, obviously your 
winter, Austrian winter peas, they're going to be producing some uh, nitrogen uh, into your soil that your cover crop, and if you have a cash crop growing, it's going to be absorbing. But any extra nitrogen that they produce and is just there in the field, your radishes are going to be taking it up and holding it, and then when they decompose, they're going to be releasing all those nutrients back into the soil ready for your next crop. Now, uh, one other note on the daikon radishes is that they will winter kill. So you'll want to make sure that you plant them with another type of cover that will survive the winter, such as a cereal, cereal grain. Um, and if you're further, far, far enough south, uh, you can have the Austrian winter peas uh, over winter as well. Uh, wheat is a good nitrogen uh, scavenger as well as a soil builder. All right, so if you're in zone five or cooler, um, you can plant uh, rye or oats as a summer annual. Uh, thinking about August uh, being about the time you want to be planting them uh, after uh, your cash crops have come out uh, and they are going to uh, be able to uh, grow and help to build your organic matter as well as do some erosion control. All right, so I'm going to quickly go over these next slides as well. Uh, these are examples of cover crops used uh, in conjunction uh, for preparing the soil for your next cash crops. So in this first one here, I've got winter wheat and a legume that have been interseeded together. That means they've been planted together and they're growing. Then you're going to be following this um, biodiversity with legumes. And then finally, potatoes. Now this is uh, if you're in uh, Idaho, especially where potatoes are grown a lot. Uh, this is helping to get the soil ready uh, for your potatoes. It's helping to fight soil disease and provide enough nitrogen uh, for the potatoes to grow. Uh, just do keep in mind that potatoes are a rather shallow-rooted crop, and so if uh, any nitrogen leaching happens, uh, it may be below the level that your potatoes are going to be able to access them. So you can do lettuce followed by back-to-back uh, -back plantings of buckwheat. Uh, then broccoli would be your cash crop, followed up by white clover, interceded with annual ryegrass. Now, an interesting fact here with the back-to-back uh, -back plantings of buckwheat, yes, you can plant buckwheat, terminate it, and then plant it again, or, this is probably the only time I'm going to say this, you can let the buckwheat go to seed for your first planting. You can incorporate it into the soil, and then the seeds from your first planting of buckwheat will then come up and provide you with your second planting of buckwheat. So just a, a tip to keep in mind there. So with this, uh, this uh, rotation here, uh, it's helping to uh, suppress weeds. That's the buckwheat's job. And it's also loosening the topsoil and attracting beneficial insects, which is always a plus on any farm. Uh, then you have uh, your cash crop going in, which in this case would be the broccoli. And then you have the uh, winter grass uh, slash legume cover mix, which is holding the soil in place after your cash crop has come out. Now, if you plant the clover at least 40 days um, before frost, uh, the white clover should overwinter and provide a green manure or a living mulch for the next year. Again, it just depends on where you're located in the country. Some of our winters, like if you're up north in the Dakotas, uh, they may be too cold uh, for much of anything to survive living uh, on top of your soils. So um, as a recap so far, you want to do your homework. You want to think about your current cash crop needs and the nutrients that you're going to want to replace for your following cash crop and what its needs are going to be as well. All right, so cover crops based on the seasons. 
So when, plant, when planning uh, for your fall planting of cover crops, you should plant them as you would your cash crops. I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. This is for uh, extra emphasis on it. You want to make sure that your cover crops are able to get established and benefit your soil properly. Uh, you plant them too late, they're not going to be able to uh, benefit the soil as much. So some of the uh, cash, some of the cover crops that you can plant uh, in the fall. Uh, I'm going to give you a personal example here from myself. Uh, this last fall, I put down a multi-species blend of cover crops over the majority of my fields. I did tweak it for some fields, but the majority of them got peas, radish, rye, turnips, and wheat uh, down on my fields. Now, uh, the reason I did this uh, was for a number of different reasons. You know, I wanted the biomass uh, and then the weed protection that the rye and the wheat uh, were going to give me uh, this coming uh, spring when I terminate them with a roller crimper. Uh, the nitrogen is coming from um, the peas. I've also got the rye uh, helping to hold any extra nitrogen uh, in the soil. Uh, I have the compaction breaking abilities of the turnips, of the daikon radish, uh, as well as the rye. Rye's uh, roots have the ability to penetrate the soil up to three feet. So I'm able to break up the compaction, I'm able to increase the poricity of the soil, the aggregation of the soil, uh, and just make it a better place, not only for my crops, but also for the living organisms that are in the soil. Now one thing I do want to mention here very quickly is I did a multi-species blend. If for whatever reason you're not able to do that, uh, and you just plant a single uh, crop, a monocrop of, of a cover crop, um, it's better than nothing. It's better than allowing your soil to stay bare or for weeds to come in and take over. Uh, and it will definitely help to uh, improve your soil. But where in nature uh, do we find monocultures? We don't. Everything in nature, whether you're talking about grasslands or whether you're talking about woodlands, uh, there's all a huge uh, diversity of plant and animal life uh, above the soil as well as in the soil. So the more biodiversity that we see above the soil, that is going to uh, positively impact the biological life as well as the biodiversity uh, inside our soil. And that's exactly what we want to see. Good, I'm right on time. Okay, so the next part that I want to talk about is biofumigation. Now, who here uh, knows what biofumigation is and maybe has done it on their farm? Okay, a few people. All right, cool. So biofumigation is a very interesting process, at least to me it is, uh, and it's one way that we can use nature to do the job that we would maybe sometimes other times have to use a synthetic uh, chemical herbicide or a pesticide for. So uh, what I'm going to be using here as an example for biofumigation is going to be mustard. So mustard uh, as a cover crop can be grown uh, as part of your vegetable rotation. So your previous cash crop or even cover crop comes out and you plant the mustard in its place. And uh, mustard plants contain a chemical called uh, glucosinolates. And when the tissue of the mustard plant uh, is destroyed, these compounds are broken up into a variety of chemicals. Uh, including some that form gases with activity against various soil-borne pests. So we're able to accomplish a number of different things here uh, by growing mustard as a cover crop. So 
I'm going to go through some steps here of how to uh, create biofumigation uh, on your farm. So the type of mustard uh, that is generally used uh, for this, if I'm saying this right, it's caliente uh, mustard. So you're going to want to, um, after your last crop has come out, you're going to want to put this down at about 10 to 12 pounds to the acre, and this is whether you're broadcasting it or whether you're drilling it into your soil with a seed drill. Now, if you're following a more conventional uh, means of adding uh, fertilizers to your field, uh, it is recommended that you add about 100 pounds of nitrogen uh, to the field uh, once the uh, crop has been planted. Now, the reason for this is uh, the added nitrogen is going to uh, cause a greater biofumigate potential because your plant is going to be, become larger, it's going to um, be able to biofumigate better uh, with a larger plant than with a smaller plant. Uh, also, 20 pounds of sulfur uh, helps for producing the ne needed uh, biofumigate compounds. So, once you've uh, planted uh, your seed, you've, you've applied your nutrients, uh, you can also uh, apply, uh, if you don't want to use the synthetic fertilizers, you can apply uh, about four tons of chicken litter to the acre. Now, that sounds like a lot, but chicken litter, while it does have nitrogen in it, it also has a lot of um, substances that can help to create um, organic matter in our soil. It has a lot of organic matter in it. Uh, and so it will slowly, I'm going to say, deteriorate over time and be releasing these nutrients and minerals to the soil uh, over time, which is exactly what any of our crops will need. They don't need uh, a vast amount of nutrients at any one point in time. Uh, and then that's it. We don't add any more nutrients to the field uh, because our bodies don't work that way and neither do uh, any living plants. So uh, once, you've, once you've planted it, uh, your mustard crop is going to grow. Uh, you're going to want to, depending on when you plant it or what, let me rephrase that, you're going to want to plant it based on when you want to use the biofumigation uh, potential that it offers. So if you're wanting to do it for a summer crop, you're going to want to plant it as early as possible. We're talking like uh, mid-April, uh, possibly even earlier. It just depends on where you are in the country. Uh, if you're looking for a fall uh, biofumigant uh, help, then you're going to want to put it in uh, late July or the early part of August uh, to be able to grow and have its, have its potential use. Now, Mustard will double in height uh, after it begins to flower, and it will reach a height of five feet. So a decent amount of growth there. Now you are going to want to make sure that you incorporate two to four weeks after it begins to flower. Uh, if I remember correctly, let's see here. Yeah, mustard will uh, flower for about six weeks and then it's going to go into seed production. You do not want it going into seed production. We're talking about tiny little seeds here uh, that will uh, germinate and grow, and then they will become uh, a weed uh, for you, which is something you do not want. So uh, let's say you're at the flowering stage. Okay, it's time to terminate it. So uh, it's recommended uh, that you use a flail mower uh, to terminate all right, so your mustard uh, is ready to terminate. You go ahead and flail mow it. Uh, it's recommended that you flail mow it simply because uh, this is going to be chopping up the mustard plant into some smaller chunks and thereby uh, increasing uh, the amount of uh, tissue that has been broken and thereby 
the uh, amount of biofumigation that is going to happen uh, by it. So once you uh, flail mow it, you're going to want to incorporate it into your, excuse me, incorporate it into your soil. Now it's recommended that you till it into your soil uh, instead of uh, plowing it or disking it in. If you plow it, it's going to be well below uh, the layer of the soil that is going to be that you're going to want it to impact uh, for your next uh, crop as it begins to grow. Uh, and disking it isn't going to incorporate it um, well enough. Although if all you have is a disc, definitely go ahead, use the disc and incorporate it. You still will get some benefits. So uh, you go ahead and you till it in and then it is important that you follow up the process of tillage by watering your field. Now you can get around watering your field uh, if it is going to rain. Uh, if it's going to rain, then don't bother watering it. Just let nature take care of adding the liquid to the soil. Now, the reason you want to make sure that you add water, whether it's rain or uh, irrigation to your field, is because uh, the, the water coming down on your field is going to be helping to seal the level, seal the soil surface. Uh, and that's what you want, so that way you can prevent uh, any of the uh, chemicals from escaping uh, from the mustard uh, and then losing some of your biofumigant potential. Now you notice what I said, uh, the water will be se helping to seal the soil surface. That's exactly what happens uh, after tillage occurs, whether it's naturally or with irrigation, uh, and that can uh, impact uh, some of our crops growing uh, because the soil has been, um, let's call it the beginning of compaction has started on the upper layers of the soil. and. Uh, if your water and air cannot penetrate that layer, uh, then you could have uh, issues further on with your crops uh, growing, as well as the soil biology. Now, with the, with the stages of incorporation, your mowing, your tilling, and your watering, you're going to want to do this in a very short period of time frame, in a very short period of time, and you're gonna, it's recommended that you do it in the morning. Uh, so just follow these processes up one by one, uh, back to back, uh, because the, uh, the chemicals that are being released uh, by the mustard, uh, they will volatize in the heat as well as over time. And so you want to make sure you get them in the soil as quickly as possible and, uh, and then leave it alone. Now, you're going to want to wait about 10 days uh, before you plant your next crop, whether it's cover crop or cash crop, after you have biofumigated. If you do it any earlier than that, the chemical processes happening in the soil could stunt your next crop that you're planting. So uh, do keep that in mind. Now when you prepare to plant your next crop, whatever it may be, you'll want to lightly work the soil. Don't cultivate it extra heavy. Uh, just do a light, light workup of the soil. Uh, so that way it'll ventilate any remaining gases that are in the soil and uh, make uh, your soil uh, ready and hospitable, more hospitable for the crops that you want to grow. Okay, cation exchange capacity. Big word, rel relatively, simple, uh, relatively simple explanation for it, at least in my opinion. So cation exchange capacity uh, is the positively, excuse me, let me restart that. Cation exchange capacity is a measure of the soil's ability to hold positively charged ions. It's a very important soil property influencing 
uh, soil structure, stability, nutrient availability, soil pH, and the soil's reaction to fertilizers and other amendments. No, I did not draw that line across uh, the slide. Uh, that's just something that came up. Uh, CEC, as a shorthand uh, reference to cation exchange capacity, it refers to how many charged particles can be captured by the soil and exchanged for elements by forming temporary bonds or attractions with different nutrients such as nitrogen or potassium in the soil and holding these nutrients in place until the crops need it. Now this is a very important uh, piece of information here because if our soils are not holding these nutrients then all of our previous work that we did uh, cover cropping or adding compost or manures to our fields uh, was almost for nothing. Now as all of us should be doing, uh, yearly soil tests, if not more often than that, uh, should list your soil's CEC capacity and you'll want to follow this information closely when you're applying uh, fertilizers uh, that can cause, because too much fertilizer can cause nutrient leaching. And that is definitely something that we want to avoid uh, at all costs because it can uh, pollute the groundwater and it can have harmful effects uh, downstream for both nature and humans. All right, so to break down what I just said in the previous slide, CEC is a measurement of the type of clay in your soil. It's a measurement of the amount of clay in your soil, and it's the amount of organic matter in your soil. So it's a very useful uh, piece of information to have. Now, on the screen here, I've got uh, some demonstrations of what you want to do to find out uh, your CEC capacity. Now, as an example, let's say that your CEC capacity for one field, you will have a different CEC capacity for each field that you do a soil test on. Let's say in this field you have a CEC of 16. Okay, that's great. So you take 16 and you times it by 10. Well, that means that the maximum amount of any type of fertilizer, in this case I'm using nitrogen as the example, uh, the maximum amount that you should be applying to this field is 160 pounds. Now, according to your soil test, your soil test says that you already have 40 pounds of nitrogen in your soil. So you don't need the 160 pounds. So you're going to take that 40 pounds and you're going to subtract it from 160 and that is going to give you 120 pounds uh, tops that you should be adding to your soil. And like I said before, you shouldn't be applying all 120 pounds at the beginning of the season or at any one period. This needs to be I'm going to say a drawn out process over the season so your plant will be able to absorb and use the nutrients that you're applying to the field. Now, maybe you have a low CEC rate and you're going to want to increase it. Well, if you're wanting to increase your CEC, you need to be increasing your organic matter. That should be one of your focuses. So to increase the organic matter, you're going to reduce or eliminate your tillage, if at all possible. You're going to want to keep the ground covered uh, one, way, one of the ways to do this is cover cropping, as we've been talking about. You're going to want to keep living roots into the soil as much as possible. This should be a refresher from everything I've, I've been saying throughout this presentation. And you can be adding, or, or should be adding, compost and manures. Now, depending on the size of your field, uh, it can be a little more complicated uh, to find enough manure or compost to cover your fields if we're talking about 20 acres, 50 acres at a time. Now, one of, the, one of the ways that you can add manure to your field is chicken litter, uh, which, at least in my area of Tennessee, we have a ton of chicken houses all around us. Uh, we smell them all the time. Your neighbors will be appreciative of the new aroma wafting through 
uh, your section of the country if you apply chicken litter um, to your fields. But that's one way that you can access a large amount of manure uh, and spread it on your fields. Now, let's say that you have a high CEC. Now, just because you have a high CEC, I mean, it's good in some ways, but it can be detrimental in other ways. Now, if you have a high CEC rate, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to increase the soil porosity. You want to increase the amount of passageways in your soil that air, water, and nutrients can flow through. You're going to want to increase the calcium in your soil. You can do that by adding lime to your fields. And according with your soil test, there should be recommendations for how many pounds or tons of lime you should be adding to your fields. Uh, so you're definitely going to want to follow your soil test recommendations very closely. Uh, cover crops uh, can help to break up the compaction uh, that is happening in your soil. Uh, and two of the ones that I have used in the past, as I've mentioned before, are uh, radishes um, or I've also used uh, cereal grains with the ability to have a massive root capacity down in the soil to open the soil up and break up compaction. All right, terminating our cover crops. So we've done all this work of planting, growing the cover crops, uh, and now we need to terminate them so we can go to the next stage of their benefit and their usefulness uh, for our crops. So there are uh, a number of different ways to terminate cover crops, and I have uh, some of them illustrated on the, screen, on the screens uh, behind me uh, in photographs. So... Uh, one, we can do a uh, chemical burn down. Uh, we can mow it, as we can see here. We can incorporate it into the soil via tillage or disking. And we can uh, roller crimp it. Now, uh, these are some of the illustrations that are up on the screen. If you planted your cover crop, however, uh, to act as a green manure, uh, in this case, you're going to want to till it in uh, before the cover crop uh, reaches one foot in height. You want to make sure that it's easy enough to uh, terminate and then incorporate into your soil uh, so that way you don't have just large chunks of, of the cover crop just sitting there, um, potentially causing you issues later on as you try to work your soil and get your crops into the ground. Now, some farmers uh, that still use tillage conventionally, uh, they will plant a cover crop and let it reach maturity, uh, and then they will either flail mow it or bush hog it, uh, and then till the residues of those cover crops into the soils. Now, if you're wanting to go uh, no-till, uh, it's a more, some would call it a more organic, natural approach uh, to uh, terminating covers. Um, yes, you can use a non-selective uh, herbicide to kill the crop and then roller crimp it. Or, sticking with the organic side of things, you can just simply roller crimp it. Now, the largest picture up on the screen is an image of roller crimping. So, for those of you who may not be familiar with roller crimping, what it is, is you can see that in front of the tractor, you have what looks to be a large round metal drum, and there are curved, drawing a blank on the name of it, I'm going to say curved metal bars, uh, for lack of a better uh, termination here, uh, that are attached to the metal drum. Now, in this case, the tractor is pushing the roller crimper in front of it, and what it is doing it is, is it is laying down the cover crop and using it as a mat on top of your soil. Now this is beneficial because you're keeping your soil covered and you also have roots in the soil. In this case they are not living roots but they are still roots and they're providing 
uh, a form of nutrients to your soil biology. Now, how come after the tractor rolls over this field, how come the cover crop isn't just standing back up on its own uh, over a period of time? The reason is those blades that you see attached uh, to uh, that roller crimper. These blades are blunted. They are not cutting the cover crop by any means, but they are breaking the stems of the cover crop. Now, the stems are how the cover crop gains its nutrients, its water, uh, how it lives. If you break that, you are effectively terminating that cover crop. It is not going to survive that and is going to die. Um, and so once you, have, once you have rolled it down, uh, in this case, the farmer may be following it up immediately in one pass, roller crimping, and then following it up with a no-till planter or drill, planting his next crop in the field. So it's a way that you can uh, minimize the amount of time that you're having to spend outside in your fields. Uh, the one thing I would say is you would have to have a large enough tractor that is able to handle the weight of a roller crimper and be able to have it attached to the front of the tractor and still be able to pull a, uh, a no-till drill or seed uh, planter behind the tractor. Now, it is true that you don't have to roller crimp. Uh, if you've terminated with an herbicide, you can uh, just plant directly into the crop residue as it's standing. However, uh, if you do that, you could run into some problems, uh, such as you have the residues of the crop still standing upright and this could block uh, airflow for your next cash crop as it is beginning life. So uh, laying down, terminating the cover crop uh, is one of the better ways of doing this. Uh, roller crimping uh, pretty much only works with tall crops such as cereal grains. Uh, it will not work for short cover crops uh, such as clover. And obviously, the, it depends with the efficiency. The efficiency of the termination using a roller crimper uh, will depend on you know the amount, uh, the density of the cover crop uh, that has been growing in your fields. So if you have a lighter stand of cover crop for whatever reason, uh, it's still going to do an excellent job of crimping it and laying it down. But if you're doing it for a weed suppression. Um, it may not work as well because uh, the weeds will still be able to come through your mat uh, relatively quickly. If you have a good stand, as can be seen in the photograph uh, on the screen, uh, at least in the south, if you roll a crimp in the spring and you plant, uh, let's say, corn or soybeans uh, in your field, it'll probably be roughly around late July or August before you start to see uh, the first weeds beginning to poke through uh, the degrading mat that you have on your soil. And so it, it can act as a very good weed suppressant there. And if you only have a few weeds coming up, they are easy to terminate. Okay, so that is all I had for you for today. One thing that I did want, or a couple things that I did want to mention, uh, if you're wanting to learn more about cover cropping and uh, you maybe want to uh, watch some uh, presenters online or read some books, one book that I found extremely helpful for myself when I first started uh, incorporating cover crops into my rotations and into my farm was uh, Managing Cover Crop Profitability. Uh, and this is put out by SARE. You can either purchase a hard copy online via their website or they have a free uh, PDF version of the book uh, that you can download uh, and then print off if you want to or just look at it on your iPad or computer. So again, that, the title of that book was Managing Cover Crop Profitability. 
Now, if you're uh, more visual, such as myself, uh, or maybe you're spending a lot of time uh, in the car driving home, uh, I wouldn't recommend watching these, but you can listen to them. Uh, if you go onto YouTube, uh, two people that uh, I extremely respect as far as uh, their ability to explain cover cropping and farming, uh, one would be Gabe Brown. He's a farmer, rancher in North Dakota that has done extensive work uh, with cover crops and also incorporating livestock, uh, chickens and cattle, into his uh, cover crop stands. Uh, so again, that was Gabe Brown. He has a number of different lectures uh, on YouTube. The other person is Ray Archuleta. Uh, Ray is a uh, soil scientist, a soil health expert. Uh, he used to be uh, with the uh, NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, which is a branch of the USDA, and he has a lot of really good information, not just on cover cropping, but also on soil health in general. So if you want to learn a lot of information, those are two people that I would highly recommend uh, that you either read their publications or watch their, their videos. Also, uh, the NRCS has multiple uh, fact sheets uh, online on their websites that you can download or read online. And almost every county uh, in the U.S. will have a uh, local NRCS office. Now, I can tell you from experience that the people that work with the NRCS are more than happy to help anybody on their farms, uh, whether it's uh, with uh, soil health or a, nu uh, a nutrient management plan or, or anything that you might need help with uh, dealing with uh, natural resource conservation on your farm. They're more than eager to leave the office and come out and do a field trip uh, on your farm. So with that, that's all I had. So are there any questions? Oh, and one thing I will say, if you do have questions, um, there is a microphone set up uh, over here on my uh, right-hand side. Please state your questions into the microphone so they can be recorded for Audioverse. Yeah, thank you so much, Seth uh, Schaefer, for uh, sharing with us about cover cropping. Um, while you were at Southern, uh, I know I was there when you were there, um, did you use cover cropping before you began to cultivate the, the land that you were growing upon? Because it's pretty uh, clay. There's a lot of clay down there in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yes. So basically, uh, when, I, when I first took over the farm at Southern, uh, some of the land uh, had been cover cropped and had had other amendments done to it. However, when we were given an additional five acres, uh, we were talking about some very raw land full of clay, full of rocks um, that had not been worked in years. So in that case, yes, one of the first things I did was apply a cover crop. Um, probably, uh, let me rephrase this. Yeah, basically, do the soil test first and add your cover crops if it's any type of new land um, because you want to know what you're dealing with first uh, before you start adding any type of amendments or whatnot. But yes, that's, that's what I did with that type of land. I grow garlic up in Minnesota where we, after I harvest in mid-July, I got maybe two and a half months or something before I'm planting again. I'd like to plant some cover crops. What would be good to plant for that, and where would I get the seed? Okay. Oof. All right, so for the 
one part of your question, uh, dealing with, you know, you're in Minnesota, you've just har harvested your garlic crop and you have a couple months. Um, I would talk to somebody local, like your local NRCS office, about which cover crops would be best uh, for planting uh, at that time period. My recommendation would be uh, probably garlic is a heavy feeder, so I would try going with a probably like a, a cover crop blend of like uh, some type of cereal grain uh, as well as uh, possibly some peas or daikon radishes uh, to help um, work up your soil as well as uh, hold any nutrients that may be left over from the uh, garlic as well as restoring some nitrogen to your soil as well as other uh, cover crop, other nutrients. Now the other part of your question about getting seed. Um, thanks for bringing that up. I hadn't mentioned that before in my talk. So you can get seed from a variety of different places. Uh, one of the places that I get seed from is uh, the local co-op. Uh, they will usually have uh, a pretty good selection for your area. Uh, and the benefit to that is if you're farming on a large scale, uh, you're going to need a lot of cover crops. Cover crops usually come in 25 to 50 pound bags, um, especially when you're farming at this scale. You don't want to pay shipping on those bags. Believe me, it'll eat you alive. So finding a local source. Um, so the co-op is generally the place I would start off with first, although you may have some other uh, feed stores in the area or if you're in a more farming community, sort of maybe in the Midwest or or other places, you may have other stores in the area that are dedicated uh, seed dealers for cover crops. I enjoy your presentation. You. Excellent. I just bought some land. Um, I don't want to till, so how would I incorporate the cover crops? Okay, so let me ask you a uh, a follow-up question to that. Uh, do you, have you already planted the cover crops? Okay, so it's just raw land. Okay. Um, okay, so if you, if you just have raw land, you, you've got two options. One uh, would be going the non-organic route and doing a chemical burn down using a non-selective herbicide to kill anything that is growing on the field that you're wanting to plant and then planting uh, your cover crop into that. That's probably the best way to avoid tillage. Now, if you're wanting to go a more organic route, I know there are some uh, herbicides that are organic. Uh, I am drawing a blank on their names right now um, that can be used with varying degrees of success. Uh, however, generally speaking, for organic uh, producers or people that are wanting to stay more organic, uh, tillage would probably have to be done at least for your first planting of the cover crop. So if you do it, let's say, in the, in the summertime or, or springtime, till your field, get the cover crop. If it's a fast-growing cover crop, get it in the ground. And then from there on, you can avoid tillage. You'll just have to keep a very close eye on your cover crop. Make sure you terminate it correctly. Make sure your seeding rate is correct. Uh, and then theoretically, if everything goes well, you should be able to plant your cover crop, allow it to grow, terminate it, maybe with a roller crimper, and then direct seed your next cover crop or cash crop into the soil and then just, after, let's say it's a cash crop, you should have enough residues from that cash crop um, after you mow it down to then 
immediately come back behind there and plant your next round of, of covers after that. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads. Uh, dear God, thank you that uh, you've brought us all here to Adagra to uh, learn about nature and farming and how we can uh, better apply uh, good principles uh, to our farms and, and everything uh, related to our farms. And uh, I want to ask that you'll be with each person here as we uh, continue to go about our day and go to listen to different speakers and, and absorb more information. And uh, thank you for the good weather that we've been having. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.